Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. To him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come, and with consolations, I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd of flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. The word of God for the people of God. Okay, is it working now? Yeah. Oh, and me being off stage, it's like the voice of God. All right, is that better? I remember what happened when I was putting it on, the batteries fell out, and then I forgot to turn it back on. Yeah. Okay, so let's start over. So, uh, my daughter Ruby is starting kindergarten on Monday, and so on Friday we decided to have our last Fabra. Uh, part, partly also because I was in a staff meeting on Tuesday, I had to go get the bulletins, and so I thought I would make it a fun trip. Um, so I brought Ruby with me, and we, uh, just after rush hour, we boarded the Metra, uh, which she thinks is like the most amazing train ever. Um, and it is a very big step up from CTA, I will say that. We rode Metra down and CTA home, and the difference is just unbelievable. Um, she wanted to do something, and uh, she, I was like, we don't have Wi-Fi. And she's like, Metra has Wi-Fi. She was not happy about <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we arrived at Ogilvy Transportation, and from there we decided to grab a healthy breakfast at Stan's Donuts on Dearborn. Um, and then we headed to Maggie Daly Park to, to play. And this park, I don't know if you've been to the park, but it has several different areas of play. And one of them is this area where there's uh, maybe three or four child-sized wooden boats in there. They're hung uh, uh, with some chains so that um, if a child's in it, you can kind of rock and it feels like you're like bouncing on the sea and it's really fun. 
So uh, th these boats are then sort of um, parked in a like dock area. Um, and so Ruby went up to uh, an empty boat and she started to climb in. And there were a couple of children that were standing on the dock next to the boat. So when she climbed in, they were immediately angry. And uh, one little girl, she's probably about four or five, she yelled, you can't be in that boat. And Ruby looked at me with this kind of uh, mixture of anger and almost defiance in her eye. Um, and before anything started, I said um, to placate the situation, oh, you know what, there's so much room for everybody in the boat. Why don't you guys climb in and you can all play together? And the little girl, um, she looked at me also with some defiance and anger in her eye and said, well, I can speak Chinese and you can't, so there. And I chuckled internally and I said, you are absolutely right. I only know English and you know both English and Chinese and that is so wonderful. Now, by this time, Ruby, um, she's over it and she's jumped out of this boat in favor of a boat that clearly no other child is around and she's not going to get into a fight. And so she's moved on. But that story, that situation just continued to linger in my head the whole morning that we were playing. Because as I looked around the park, it was just full of the, hu the human diversity of who we are. There was a, um, a group of young Orthodox Jewish families that were playing, and the little boys had their prayer, um, um, yes, hanging down, and their yarmulkes. And um, there was a, um, a group of... Um, Muslim families and the women were smartly dressed in their hijabs. I heard, besides, uh, besides um, Chinese, I heard Polish, I heard French, I heard Arabic, I heard Spanish. There was a daycare program full of black and brown and white children. It was in many ways this vision that Jeremiah casts of God scooping up the children of Israel, the children of God. Um, from the north country and from the ends of the earth and bringing them all together in this park. Have you ever been in a situation like that in the city where you see this just like, wow, what an amazing, diverse city that we live in. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the Jewish people who had experienced some hard times. And let me back up and say, the Jewish people uh, were held together. I've got a, a map picture up here that they're going to throw up. The Jewish people were essentially um, clumped together in 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes uh, were based on the um, 12, loosely there's some exceptions, but the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel. Okay, So there's some exceptions. Um, uh, we won't go into that. Just say, you know, read Genesis. You'll get it. You'll get it. Um, but it's, it's kind of the 12, uh, the 12 sons, with the exception of Levi and Joseph's sons. It's another story. So these families, they lived um, scattered throughout the Mediterranean Sea area there. Um, and lots of stuff happened. It's, you know, read the Bible, it's great. Um, and so eventually what happens is there, there becomes a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. And so Judah, incidentally, is where the lineage of Jesus comes from. Uh, so, again, there's, there's a lot in the Bible. In fact, what should they do if they're interested in this? Ellen? They should come to our group. Yeah, Ellen's starting a small group, and it's going to be kind of some in-depth about Old Testament stuff, yeah? Testament. Oh, never mind, but it's still going to be great. 
The New Testament is also great, but you're not going to get into this uh, Judah-Israel stuff. So it's still going to be great. I don't mean to... <laughs> Okay, or next time around, right? January is coming. So about 100 years um, before the scripture passage was written, um, there was uh, an attack from Assyria, and it sent much of Judah, the southern uh, part of the 12 tribes, into exile. And then, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in 597 BCE, the Babylonians attacked, and and more went into exile. Um, Exile meaning people were murdered, or if they didn't leave, they would be murdered. And so they had no place, no choice but to flee. Sort of sounds like some of the stuff that's happening in our world now. Yes? So um, Jeremiah is still in Judah, in that southern area, the promised land. You see Jerusalem. We, we talk a lot about Jerusalem, right? Um, he's still in Judah, and he... Um, is writing to a couple of different people. He's writing to those who are still in Judah also, but whose family members, whose friends, whose neighbors have had to escape um, at the co- or, or they will lose their life. So he's writing to the folks that are still stuck, not, not stuck, but are, are still in Judah, but are, are missing their family and friends. He's also writing to all those who have been lost and scattered, and exiled, um, the, the lost sisters and brothers and neighbors that have been deported against their will um, and are basically lost forever. Because we know that when a nation conquers another nation, that much of the losing nation's identity as, um, as, is lost, right? Their culture and identity is lost. So those left behind, they know that the only way that they can remain connected to the ones they love is through speaking aloud their memory, through um, sharing in the tradition, like the rituals and tradition of, of uh, uh, table fellowship and um, identity, and, and just through hope, right? Through saying someday. So this passage is about hope. It's about this remnant of Israel and Judah, the lost brothers and sisters coming home. Right? So, so Jeremiah is saying that um, all those who have been scattered, all those who have been, become refugees in a foreign land, that, that God is going to scoop them up from the corners of the earth and bring them home. That, that um, the lame and the limping, the pregnant, and even the women in labor, everyone will come home. That what you think is impossible God will make possible. People will come home. Isn't that a beautiful vision? There's only one problem. If you read the Old Testament scriptures, you find out that Jeremiah's prophecy didn't actually come true. That it was a failed prophecy. That the 12 tribes of Israel were never reunited. In fact, 10 of them were just obliterated. We don't know where they went. They, they ended up assimilating into all the cultures where, um, where they found um, solace, and they're gone. We don't know where they are. There's, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories you can read online. Um, and so I think when we read this scripture, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I want to name it out loud, that when we read the scripture, when we read prophetic literature, 
What we need to remember is that prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's not looking into a crystal ball. It is vision-casting. So this is why, did anybody hear um, before the solar eclipse, you know, people would cite random scripture passages from like Revelation or whatever, and they would say, oh, this, this one verse of the Bible, and now the, the eclipse coming, it means the end of the world is going to happen, right? You know, or like when 2000 happened, right? You know what I mean? This is why I roll my eyes at all of this, because prophetic literature, uh, literature, prophetic readings of scripture are never about like a crystal ball. This is, this is exactly, they're not predicting the future. They're casting a vision about what is possible with God. It's really important to, it's really important to know that because um, we can't read um, scripture like a tarot card, right? So, that I'm done with the tangent. <laughs> so uh, here is this beautiful, beautiful vision that Jeremiah has ca- cast where all of God's children who have found grace in the desert are coming together to celebrate, right? Where the young women and young men and the young gender non-conforming folks are dancing and happy, where the older folks also join in knowing that God has turned their mourning, their mourning of loss of loved ones, somehow God has turned that into joy and has comforted them and given them gladness in their sorrow. Can you see how beautiful that would be? So in a small way, I did see this vision of people coming together from all the ends of the earth into Maggie Daly Park. But I think that uh, God's vision, that Jeremiah's vision, is much bigger than a playground in downtown Chicago. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, who, Jesus, I mean, if you read, if you go to Ellen's Bible study <laughs> about the New Testament, you will see that Jesus always crossed boundaries that had been set up. That Jesus was always the biggest uh, cheerleader for the outcast and for the downtrodden, and for the refugees. That, and so that part of our work as children of God, as followers of Jesus, as, as people who say Jesus has shown me the way, the truth, and the life, is to live that life. To also be um, working on this vision of restoration that Jesus continued from Jeremiah's prophecy. So it's a vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus will say, like in scripture, it is here right now and it is coming, right? And so our work as Christ followers is to to do that work, to bring about this vision of all the people from the ends of the earth coming together. Think about your life. There was a time when you too were a stranger in exile. Maybe it was, maybe you had a childhood where you moved around constantly and you were a stranger in exile and somebody welcomed you in. Maybe it was when you went off to college and you knew nobody and you felt like a stranger in exile and somebody offered to invite you to lunch. Maybe it's when you moved to the city and you didn't know anyone, and someone reached out and welcomed you. There was a time when you were a stranger in exile, and now you are here, in the city, with a community of people, 
and now you're here at UVC, and here at UVC Edgewater, where I hope every, every week when I write folks, I say something like, so if, if, you're, if you're a first-time guest, be ready for this email. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I hope that you have found in UVC Edgewater a place where you can journey together with others and it's part of this community. Now you are here and you have been found. You are part of God's family in this place. You are um, loved, right? I hope every week at some point in the service through testimony or scripture reading or my preaching or someone else's preaching that you hear this message that you are loved, that you are part of God's people, that you thought you were nobody, but you are somebody, right? That is, that is the message of our faith, that we are somebody. And so what do we do with that? Like, what do we do if we have that identity, if we, were, if we know that we are God's children with whom God is well-pleased, then how do we become agents of welcome and restoration for those who have not yet heard that message? How do we do that in Chicago? How do we do that in our neighborhood? How do we do that individually? So I have a friend um, that spends her Thursday evenings and even some Saturdays with a refugee family that um, their church um, decided to embrace and welcome into the city of Chicago. Uh, One thing she does, it's this easy. She meets with them on Thursdays and she talks. And this allows them to practice English, and it allows them to build relationships. And in those relationships that are being built, she, um, they, um, they become comfortable in the United States because they've been exiled, and she's offering a place of welcome. Um, they become comfortable in the city of Chicago. Um, she shows them, she showed them how to use the library, and she's registered all four of their children for school. Um, she showed them how to use the L, not Metro yet, but the L. And she's even uh, been an advocate for them when some of their resources were going to be cut off, when they shouldn't have been, but it's really easy to cut off resources with people who don't speak English well. Um, and not... not uh, out of malice, just, you know, it's easier to say we don't understand and kind of cut them off. So she's been an advocate to help them continue to have resources that they need. Um, she's even helped them make a budget because she's like a type A person that loves that kind of thing. Our city, and I see this when we walk around, when I walk around in Edgewater, our city is made up of thousands of refugee families that are strangers in a strange land. And I wonder when I read this vision of Jeremiah, I wonder what God is calling us to do with those who are strangers in a strange land. I recently read an article about Sullivan High School. Anybody know where that is? It's just up the road in Rogers Park. And um, I sent the article to Josh and Santa, who do a lot of our... um, social media stuff, so we'll be sure to post it on um, Facebook, so if you guys want to read it, you can. But this high school went from being, it it was almost closed, um, to being, uh, it's currently ranked as a two-plus school, 
And by this time next year, they believe they'll be reaching a level one status, which is the best rating for CPS. And what they did, the way, the way that they turned around the school is that they focused on being a school that would welcome refugees. A school that would welcome refugees. They have an um, English language uh, learner language class that, that meets, and, and it's not only a class that um, works on English, but it builds community together. It's creating this welcoming place for those who have thought that they were no one. They see that they are someone. So um, if, I've got a slide just to kind of name. Um, th this school is amazing. Um, they, 45% of the students in the school are foreign-born students. 38 countries are represented. 89 refugees are enrolled currently. Um, and they say every week they get a new student. Um, and 40% of those students are still learning language. And there's 35, more than 35 languages spoken in the school. Um, I, the article said that the top three languages are English, Spanish, and Swahili. So, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I think that Sullivan High School is a glimpse of God's vision for homecoming. God's vision for homecoming right here in Chicago. There's a group of folks in the South Loop, um, Jenna Hilton, Hinton, there's a group of folks in the South uh, Loop named, uh, led by a woman named Jenna who are currently putting together what's called a good neighbor team. And do you know anything about it? Just Oh, okay, awesome. So you can talk to her about that too. She, you're going to have a line, like, um, I hope. Um, they're putting together a good neighbor team to support refugee families here in Chicago. Um, and I wonder, like, here in Edgewater, we are in a neighborhood that is full of refugee families, full of refugee families. Um, and I just, I just wonder, is that something that we want to do? Is that, is that something that God is calling UVC as a whole to and, and UVC Edgewater to? I'm going to be honest, I have had my eye on Refugee One, an organization, probably for five years. Um, and I know that there's folks in our congregation that work with Heartland Alliance, which is another organization um, that sponsor um, a couple of families a year, helping them, like getting, getting all the, you know, bedding and pots and pans and towel, all the things that you don't think about needing until you leave everything behind and you start from scratch. And I just wonder, I, for years I thought, oh, we can't do that because our congregation is too... Um, Mobile. Can I get somebody to commit to a family for a whole year? Oh, our congregation is so busy. It's just not going to work. I've made those excuses in my head. I've never actually shared it out loud with you all, which is not stupid, but just unfortunate. <laughs> but what would that look like? Is that something that we could do? I don't know. What I will say is if it's something that feels kind of exciting, talk to Melissa, uh, maybe write that in your tear-off sheet, and we'll see if there's, if there's enough interest. Uh, yeah, well, and Santa, yeah, Santa's an, our outreach coach, and you knew about this, right? Because I did copy you on those emails. That's good. Um, or talk to Santa. This might be a way that we can serve our neighborhood 
and participate in being part of this vision that Jeremiah cast. That we don't have to say that Jeremiah's vision was a failure. That we can say, it is not yet, but we are helping to build it. After worship today, uh, who's going on the prayer walk? Okay, I'm so glad that two people are going, three. (laughs) There were like 15 people on Facebook. Come on, y'all. No, if you can't make it, it's okay. We're going to go on a prayer walk of the neighborhood. We're going to look around. We're going to have open hearts, open minds, and see this neighborhood the way that God sees it, hopefully. And be in discernment about where God might be calling us to serve to participate in this vision. And if you can't go on the walk today, how many of you live in Edgewater or in Edgewater regularly throughout the week? Okay, if you can't go on the walk today, can you continue to hold those questions in prayer this week? Thinking and wondering, where are we going next? Because I'm going to be honest, uh, Santa is our, um, what kind of coach are you? Community, no, outreach coach. And we have a, a, a growing evangelism team. We've got a growing justice team. And we're hardly doing any service. <clears throat> Did I hear one person go, oh, like that was too bad? Let me try that again. We have a growing evangelism team, a growing justice team, and we're hardly doing any service. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> boo, I heard one boo too. How can we be a church that's not impacting the neighborhood? How can we be a church, and I don't say that in a shaming way, just like, how can we be a church that that believes in this kingdom of God that Jeremiah shows, that, that Jesus talks about all the time, and not be doing anything on the ground right here? So that's my invitation, y'all. We live in this diverse city. We want to keep it diverse. When we welcome refugee families, it's not to make them American and and to look like us and act like us. It's to say, you are part of one of the lost tribes, just like I am. And your diversity and your value as God and, and, and all the difference from me shows me a bigger picture of who God is. And so I welcome you, and I want to know you so that I can know more fully who God is. So let's be a church that impacts this neighborhood. Let's be a church that transforms this city and brings about the kingdom of God. Amen.